As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Matthew 20 talks about, as the the, um, individual read for us, the uh, two blind men who were uh, healed of their blindness. They, they asked Jesus, or Jesus asked them, basically. They, Jesus asked them, what, what would you like? What, would you, what do you ask for? And they said, oh, that our eyes might be opened. You know, when we, when we read the New Testament, we read of some wonderful, astounding things that Jesus did. And especially in terms of relieving people of physical ailments. The Bible tells us that he gave sight to the blind, he gave hearing to the deaf, he healed the lame, he cleansed the lepers, and he raised the dead. And he used these human conditions and vast experiences of humanity in order to teach richer and deeper lessons. But we don't want to overlook the fact that, that basically he, he did perform in such a way that it has never been repeated on this earth. The fact is that uh, the text tells us in a very dignified and staid manner that he just sort of offhand that he healed the blind, gave sight to the blind, and he gave hearing to the deaf, and he raised the dead. Now it also says that he cleansed lepers and he, that he uh, healed the lame. And when the question was asked by the disciples of John whether or not he was the Christ, that's what he told them to go tell John because he was in prison. Go tell him that, uh, that I heal, I'm healing the blind, uh, I'm uh, giving uh, sight to the blind, I'm, I'm giving uh, hearing to the deaf, the dead are being raised, and the gospel, and the poor of the gospel preached through them. But the, the thing is, it was just sort of an offhand statement that he did these things. And as we read the New Testament, it, it's, it's in a very dignified way that the New Testament describes the fact that these things took place. Now, Peter did say, in Acts chapter 2, he did say in his first sermon, when he was quoting from Joel 2, 28-32, he did say that, that God had approved of Jesus by signs, wonders, miracles, which he did by him in the sight of you. So these people actually observed what Jesus was doing. And as we read these accounts in the New Testament, the thing that is impressive is, that they were never questioned in terms of their validity. Did Jesus actually restore sight to the blind? Now, the Bible doesn't say that he repaired the blind 
or repaired the deaf or helped the lame along. It says he restored their sight and he restored their hearing and he actually healed the lame. It wasn't something that that uh, was a fable or a myth. It wasn't something that just sort of grew up and said, well, he did these things. These things happened, but it took a period of time for it to take place. That, that didn't take place. That, that wasn't the case. People brought their lame and their blind and their deaf and those who are besieged with devils, brought them and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. He actually healed them. He didn't recommend physical therapy for the, for the lame. He didn't recommend that a person put a patch on their eye if they were having an eye problem or having a pain in their eye. And he didn't, he didn't go through this business of, of trying to somehow mitigate their problems. He actually healed them. And that was never questioned. And that's something that we have to keep in mind. That was never questioned. The fact that Jesus performed these fiats of physical healing was never questioned until the 17th century of our day. 1,700 years later, men rose up and said, well, maybe he didn't really do that. But it was never questioned. People then began to think, well, perhaps these people weren't smart enough to question something like that. To think that someone didn't understand what a blind person was going through or what a deaf person was suffering or what a lame person was having to, to put up with is, is ridiculous. They knew as well as we do what was going on, what maladies were afflicting people, and what Jesus did. And he did it immediately. Now, I, I want to focus on sight. Because sight is, is one of the most valuable assets that we possess. And that's what our text is talking about. The, the two blind men said, Lord, that we might see... Help us. We, we want to receive our sight. So sight is one of the most valuable assets we have. I think we understand that. The loss of our sight brings extreme difficulty in coping with even everyday tasks and, and procedures. Our sight is necessary for us to relate to the world around us and to adapt our, to our environment and to take care of fundamental activities in our lives, it uh, shuts us off if we if we don't have sight. It shuts us off from pleasures that eyesight brings into our lives. And even though those who are having difficulty seeing and are suffering some degree of blindness, even though they are coping, it is with great courage and determination and strength of character that they're able to cope. Sight is a great disability. The loss of sight is a great disability. And those who have uh, sight have a distinct advantage over those who do not. It's, it's, a, um, it's a improvement in our lifestyle when we can see and we can, we can uh, relate to everybody around us. Jesus opened the eyes of those who were blind. Basically, he gave them sight. And it wasn't just those who could barely make out something in a distance or were having trouble reading, but it was those who could not see. They were in darkness. There was a fellow 
one of them, there are several instances in the New Testament of those who were blind and had their sight restored. Not a great number, but several. And there was one man who was blind from his mother's birth that's recorded for us in John chapter 9. And he was at what was called the Pool of Siloam, where Jesus encountered him. And Jesus gave this young man, I suppose he was a young man because he had living parents at that time. He gave this man his sight. He was born blind from birth. He, he came into this world not being able to see in total darkness. Jesus healed him, gave him his sight. The people that were observing that, especially the detractors from Jesus, which is those who, who uh, wanted to dispute the fact that he was, in fact, the Son of God, they made the uh, statement that uh, somehow this man had brought the problem upon himself, or uh, they wanted to know who it was that, that performed the miracle of giving him his sight back. And Jesus was then recognized as the one who did it. The man said, I, I, I don't know who he was specifically, but I, I know something, I don't know a lot about him. He said, but he's the one that gave me my sight. He didn't know, and when Jesus confronted him again, he had to re-identify himself to the man, but, but basically the man knew that his sight had been restored, and uh, he, could, he could suddenly see. Now, if, if we really think about this a minute, we have, to, we have to think in terms of, of what happened to this guy. He was in total darkness. He could feel the sun on his arms and face and on his body, but he couldn't see it. And when Jesus opened his eyes, now the man could see the golden glow of the sun. He could see what he had been feeling all of his life. He could not... He could not see the brilliant, stark colors around him of the flower, the flora that grew up around him, the, the bright yellows and the, the brilliant greens and reds and blues. He'd never seen that. He could never see the blueness of the sky or the whiteness of the clouds. But now then, he can see what he knew was there, what he was told was there, but now he could see it. His eyes were opened. He had been blind. He could see the color of the sand under his sandals. He could see the face of those who had been caring for him, of his mother and father. Although he'd probably touch them at times, but he could never, never see them. And as a matter of fact, if he was by the pool of Siloam, he could probably look into the water and see himself for the first time in his life. And he could see. Science, modern science, can do some wonderful things. But modern science has never been able to restore sight. Never. Never been able to do it. 2,000 years, almost 2,100 years from the time that Jesus was here, Jesus restored someone's sight where they could actually see again. Up until this time in history, and we have all the miracles of modern medicine, it is still impossible to restore sight that is lost when it's damaged. It can be repaired to some degree, and so there's a factor here that I ought to mention. 
And the factor is that 80% of those who suffer damage in their eyes can have it restored to some degree. 20% never can and will go completely blind. But in order to restore, in order to bring about sight and really restore sight that has been lost, I hate to say this, but it's not possible. It, it doesn't happen. And yet Jesus, and I believe that he did, yet Jesus gave these people their sight. And not only was it, has it not been known to our day, but this man, when he was questioned, and, the, and the, the, those who were questioning him were the enemies of Jesus, he finally made a statement to them. He said, why, this is a wonderful thing. He said, it has not been known from the beginning of the world that anyone has restored sight. It had never been known. Now, the question that we have before us at this point, if it is a question, is how did Jesus do it? And the, reason, the answer is, He is God. He is the Son of God, and He has the ability that God gave Him to restore that, that blindness. We, blindness is generally defined in our day and time as uh, having 2,200 2, sight, 2,200. That's 20 slash 200. So at that point, you're, if you have that sort of sight, and actually it's a measurement from the, what's called the Selen graph. It's a measurement of what you can see from 20 feet away, a chart, and what others can see. And so those who have 20-20 vision or have good vision. Those who have 2200 vision, in other words, 2020 means that you can see from 20 feet what somebody else maybe can see if you've got 2200 vision, what you're 200 feet away that you're trying to see the chart. And that's, of course, if you're 40 feet away or 50, 60 feet away from the selling chart, you're going to have a hard time reading it. Anyway, the idea is 2200 sight is legal blindness in our vernacular and in our, uh, in our uh, way that we measure it today. And some have, have been able to uh, help repair sight when it's been damaged severely, has been able to bring it back with mechanical means and electronic means to about 2,250. So that would mean you'd look at a chart from 250 feet away and that's see what you could see there. Well, but that, that simply means that you're seeing a, a shadow or a blur. Now, when Jesus restored sight, he said, you've been sitting in blindness. You've been blind. He didn't say you've been sitting in the shade or in the dark, or he didn't say you've been, you've been, uh, have, you've had things hidden from you that you, you're trying to find something over here that's kind of masked that you can't quite make out. He's talking about, when he says he, he restored blindness, he's talking about restoring people to where they can see clearly. From blindness to sight. Now, Luke 4, verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind. To set at liberty those that are abused. 
or bruised. And then in Luke chapter 7, verse 20 and 21, when they came to Jesus, that is the disciples of John, he, they said, are you who should, the one who should come or should we look for another? And at that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. So, keep in mind what he's saying. He's not saying something's in the dark that you're trying to see or something's hidden that you have to, uh, have to uncover or that you have to discover. He's not saying there's an, an enigma that you need to unravel or a mystery you need to solve. He's saying you're blind. You are in the dark. You cannot see. Now, what he's doing and what, what, he, do, what he has done when he, when he came to this earth was that he used these physical uh, limitations that people have in order to teach something that was of a deeper truth. So he used a lot of illustrations from nature around us. He used the uh, growth of, of seed, of wheat, harvest of wheat. He, he used the, the uh, business of fishing and catching fish. He talked about merchants uh, making money in the market and so forth. He talked about a lot of things that, that are involved in man's common enterprise. And here he's going to talk about the physical ailments that people have and how he took care of those and relieved those. And it was for a different purpose. So what he's, what he's talking about when he, when he relieves blindness and he, he heals the blind man, he's demonstrating what he can do in another realm. And that other realm, as what I've been discussing so far, is not what we thought it might be. That is, there's something that needs to be discovered that we can't see. But he's talking about the fact that we can't see, we can't comprehend what is before us, and we can't, we can't understand it and see it plainly in our mind's eye, for instance. And John chapter 1 and verse 5 says, He came to the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So that's the basic, one of the basic points that he's making when he talks about blindness. The blindness that he's going to cure with us in his word and in his presence on this earth and in his teaching is, he's going to cure the blindness that we cannot comprehend something. We cannot understand it. We cannot grasp it. We cannot assimilate it. That's one way. The second way that he talks about being blind is when we are sightless in terms of getting ourselves involved in something that darkens our understanding of where we are and what we're doing. Now, this is this, both of these two factors that I believe that Jesus is talking about when he's using the illustration of coming out of darkness into the light and from blindness into sight, the two factors I believe that he's talking about is, number one, we just don't, don't comprehend God. We don't get Him. We just don't get God. We don't look for Him. We don't want to find Him. We're content to sit in the darkness. That's when we're blind. And the other is that we deliberately get ourselves involved in something that turns the lights off in our lives. Now this is stated, I think, in one text, that at least one text tells us 
that both of these components are there. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 at verse 8 that talks about God is going to execute vengeance in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God. That's the first one. And second, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those that know not God and those that do not obey the gospel. The first is the blindness that Jesus confronted when he came to this earth. And that is that there were people who had decided that they were not going to comprehend. Not going to, and there are people today the same way. We, we can get ourselves in the same spot. We simply do not want to register God. We do not want to see God. We do not want to understand Him. But basically, we're not wanting to understand ourselves because we are blind. We're content to sit in the darkness. Matthew chapter 13, at verse 14 and 15 says, In them is fulfilled the prophet of Isaiah, and we're talking about this first factor, which says, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now, basically Jesus was talking to the people in Israel. Intelligent people. Understanding people, people who had the Old Testament, that they were able to read the Old Testament and understand that God existed. But at the same time, they had decided that they were not going to pay attention to who He was and that they were not going to listen to what He had to say. They were going to close their eyes to anything that He was going to say to them that they did not have already adopted in their life. In, in Romans chapter 1, matter of fact, uh, I should have mentioned it a while ago at verse 20, it says that they do not like to retain God in their knowledge. So when they don't want to retain God in their knowledge, what they're saying is, basically, I'm going to shut my eyes and I'm not going to see. I'm not going to, I'm not going to comprehend God. And that's the same problem that people have today when, when, we, uh, when we say, that there are people who contend that they don't, they don't believe there is a God. They've actually shut themselves off. They've shut their eyes and they've gone into a period of blindness. It's not as if the world is shut down, that they can't see with their eyes. They can see the glory of God all around them. And Paul said it before. He said, he said God has not left Himself without witness. So we can see the glory of God and we can see the design of God, but when we shut our mind and say we don't care, we, we don't believe that there is a God, we're not going to try to comprehend Him, that puts us in a state of blindness. Romans 11 verse 25 talked about Israel in particular, that uh, blindness in part had happened unto them until the fullness of the Gentiles came in. So, there, there was a portion of this nation of Israel that said, we're, not, we're just not going to see. We're not going to see the, the, the program that God has set forth before us. We're not going to see the coming of Jesus. We're not going to listen to the prophecies that were stated before about Him. We're, not, we're just, we're just going to go about our own way, and we're not going to hear it. We're not going to see it. What I believe is going on when he talks about 
removing the blindness and removing that barrier is that he turns the light on inside us. That when Jesus came and it said the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. It's not as if they were seeing Jesus and all of a sudden comprehending, oh, this is the Son of God. They were seeing the light and seeing themselves in His light. So a city set on a hill cannot be hid. When you think about a city, houses, on a hill and you're standing at a distance and looking up at it, you're saying there's some light on it in, that, in those houses. There's some light up there. Well, Jesus is the light. We know that. He is the light of the world. And if He's in that house, He is the light. When the Bible says that you are the light of the world, when He talks about, when He was talking about His disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, He said, You're the light of the world. The city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. What, he was, what He's talking about was the fact that individuals had let the light be turned on in their lives so that they had light in their own personal lives. And they are the place where Jesus Christ dwelt. And so when he says a city set on a hill is, you are the light of the world, you're a city set on a hill, you cannot be hid. When you're looking at the city and you're looking at these people and you're looking at the fact that there's a light in them, they're the light. How? Because they have Jesus in their hearts and they've opened their eyes. They're not blind. They can see themselves. They know what's going on. Matthew 5.15 says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bush, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Of course, our house is the temple of God. Our body is the temple of God. And our hearts are the temple of God. And so when Jesus is present, then the light is on. Matthew 6.23 says, If your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness. So, what we're talking about at this point is that there was a spiritual blindness that Jesus confronted. And that spiritual blindness was a refusal to consider the possibility. They had that refusal to accept responsibility and the possibility that they were wrong and Jesus was right. He was the Son of God. So as long as they sat in that dark environment with their lights shut, there was no light in them. They were blind. I don't get it. If I don't get it right, if I don't get it, if I'm not right, I'm not, I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong. So people have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility to seek God and to find Him and to let Him turn the light on and to correct our blindness. That means, basically, that we need to seek God. Knock, and it shall be opened. Seek, and you shall find. So we need to seek God. And in seeking God, when we find Him, He's going to turn the light on in our lives. He'll turn the light on. And a large part of our spiritual blindness, or the basic part of our spiritual blindness, comes upon, him when, comes upon us when we refuse to see ourselves and the faults that we have within ourselves. Matthew chapter 7 talks about it this way. Judge not that you be not judged. 
For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. But uh, with what measure you meet, you sh it shall be measured to you again. And why behold the mote that is in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam that is in your own eye. So we're looking at somebody else's eye and saying, they've got a problem with their eyesight. Let me get the splinter out of their eye. While we have a mote or a big piece of wood in our eyes. He said, Wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of, of your eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So those who sat in darkness and are blind, those that are blind, are blind to the existence of God, for one thing, and certainly blind to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that, that keeps us in the dark, basically. When we eventually realize that we are not who we think we are, and as good as we think we are, when we recognize that we need God, that we need to find God, that we need to seek after God, then the light is turned on. And the light is turned on because it's being turned on inside us. We're seeing. We're seeing. We're not uncovering things. We're seeing. We're seeing ourselves for who we are and what we are. And we're seeing how fortunate we are to live on God's planet and enjoy all the blessings that God has given us and provided for us. And we enjoy that life that He's given us. John 10 at verse 10 I came to give them life and that more abundantly. The shades of prejudice and opinion pulled over our eyes keeps us from seeing. Now, God has given us a mirror to look at ourselves so that when we can see ourselves as we really are, then that means our blindness is disappearing. Again, we're not looking at something that might have been veiled from us not liking, like we're looking through a, a shower curtain to see somebody behind the shower curtain or behind the shades or on the other side we're seeing an image somewhere else. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about opening our eyes so we can see where we are and who we are and where we're going. We're, we're seeing ourselves in God's light, basically. So in, in James chapter 1, verse 23, verse 25, he says we have a mirror to see ourselves. He says, if any man be a hearer of the word, if he just hears the word and doesn't do it, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, in a mirror. He beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Now, Mark chapter 8 at verse 18 is a, is a little text that just pops up in my mind at times. Jesus was on a boat coming across the lake of Gennesaret, and he was warning his disciples at that time. He was saying, now be careful, watch out for the, the leaven of the Pharisees. Of course, he was talking about their doctrine. And they, they said, uh, wait, wait, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. It's because we didn't bring in bread with us. And Jesus said, you have eyes to see. Open your eyes and see. 
You've got eyes to see this. So they, they didn't comprehend what he was talking about. And he said, open your eyes. Well, that's basically what we're, we're told to do. Open our eyes. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, preach the deliverance of the captives, and give sight to the blind. So, Jesus, if you allow Jesus Christ to come into your life, as you hear the gospel, you understand the gospel, you understand the life of Jesus, and if you let Him come into your heart, He's going to open your eyes. He's going to help you see who you are. And He'll do it gently. He'll do it with care. He'll do it with compassion. He'll open your eyes in the privacy of your heart. He will gently expose yourself to yourself. And He'll turn the light on and He'll show you the type of person you are. Your eyes will be open. You won't have to wonder what the sun looks like anymore. You won't have to wonder what the dirt looks like under you. You won't have to wonder what the furniture looks like or what a tree looks like. You'll open your eyes and you'll see what you look like. You'll see yourself in the light of the Gospel of Christ, in the light of God's Word. Now that's the first, the first step you take. I, I, Lord, open my eyes. Please help me open my eyes. I want to see. What do you want to see, Bill? The blue sky? Sure. The white clouds? Sure. Bark of a tree that I've been feeling? Sure. But what I want to see most of all is, my God, what do I look like myself? How do I look? How do I look before you? What type of person am I? What type of God are you? I want to find out. I want to come into the light so I can see where I'm going. I want to see where I've been. I want to see what type of person I am and how I fit in your program of, of life and goodness. The second area, however, of blindness, and I'm not sure that this is any worse or any better, but the second area of blindness is due to a deliberate choice of living in the darkness. Just stepping into the dark. Getting out of the light, stepping into the dark. Have you ever walked into a room at the, in the dark of night, turned the light switch on, and you can see everything? And then you turn the light off, and you can see anything. You can't see anything. This is what happens. When we are living with Jesus Christ, and He's come into our lives, and He's turned the light on. Now I can see. I can see where I'm going. I can see who I am. I can see what I've done. I can see it in the light of God's Word. I can, I can see all of this. But now then I decide, maybe, maybe I'll dabble a little bit in sin. Maybe I'll go back into the world a little ways. I'll just stick my toe in the water and test the waters again. I'll go do a little bit that's wrong. I'll, I'll go do something that I know I shouldn't do. You know what happens? And this is, this, is, this is very important to think about. Just as soon as we step back into sin, the lights go out. The light goes out. We step into darkness. Listen to this text. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2 through 4 says, We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. 
not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Just as soon as we step out of our comfort zone of faith and step back into the world and say we're going to do some of these things we know that Jesus does not approve of and that Jesus would not go with us to do, what we're going to do is we're going to leave the light, which is Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world. We're going to leave him and step over into the darkness and the lights are going to go out. The implication of this is, in order to keep ourselves in the darkness of this world, we have to avoid Jesus and God, and they're the light. They're the light. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. What, what happens? I've been coasting along okay, and I've been praying to God, all right. And now I decide I'm going to do a little cursing on the side. I'm going to lose my temper. I'm going to say some things that I'm going to be ashamed of that I shouldn't be saying. You know what happens when that happens? The light goes out. It goes out. We, we're, all of a sudden, we're plunged into darkness. It's, not just, a, it's just not, not just a matter of nibbling around a little bit on the edges of sin. The light goes out. Jesus Christ is not with us in this anymore. We quit. Deliberately, obviously. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from sin. We can make mistakes, obviously. But when we decide, hey, we're going to do a little bit of dabbling over here. We're going to commit a little fornication. We're going to, we're going to lie about something. We're going to, and we know what we're doing, and we, we go ahead and do it anyway. It's like, Peter said it's like the hog returning to wallow again in the mire and the dog to his own vomit. But at this point, what we're talking about is the fact that the lights shut out in our eyes. We can't see. This, this, that's, that's dangerous. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, says, Be ye followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us, and give himself for us for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as become saints. Neither foolishness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Stay out of the darkness, because the darkness will, my friend, envelop us. It will enclose us in. It will capture us again and blind us and then we won't know where we're going. 
That's why the world stumbles around. That's why the world is uh, inept at doing anything that's right and not knowing what's right and how that we try different things and different methods and different means. It's because we're not in the light. We're not in the light of Jesus Christ and letting Him guide us and, and uh, control our lives and keep us out of the darkness. The tragedy of, of uh, darkness and the tragedy of blindness, and blindness is commensurate with the idea of, of, uh, of uh, darkness, is that if we do not open our eyes and exit the darkness of this world, it only gets darker. It doesn't get any brighter. And as the longer we live, and the longer we live in the world without Jesus, the darker it gets. The less we understand, the less we comprehend God, and the less we're able to extract ourselves from the clutches of the devil and sin. So that in the final analysis, the darker it gets in this life, the darker it's going to be in the life that's to come. Matthew 25 verse 30 says, Cast ye the unprofitable servants into outer darkness. So the conclusion of life, if we're in the darkness when we die, we're going to be cast into outer darkness. The darkness forever. Jude chapter 13, or not chapter 13, but verse 13 says they will be cast into the darkness, into the outer darkness forever. So there's a blackness of darkness that's mentioned in Jude 13 that we'll be cast into if we're in the darkness when we die. We certainly don't want to be in that situation. So basically, our prayer to God, my prayer to God is this. Lord, please help me open my eyes. May God help you open your eyes to the great love that he has for you in Jesus, to the fact that he is your God and that Jesus loves you that you can extract yourself. You can be taken out of this world into the light of God's Word. You can walk in darkness as He is walking light, I mean, out of the darkness. Walk in the light as He is in the light.